0: Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Thanks for joining us a four-hour show today. Big, big night. In Major League Baseball, for uh, many people, the All-Star game taking place at Coors Field in Denver, and guess what? Not at Truist Park in Cobb County. We know that that has has created a storm of controversy since Major League Baseball moved the game away from Georgia in the aftermath of the election law, Senate Bill 202, that Republicans passed In the General Assembly session, we're going to talk a bit about how that game is being politicized on the show today with a great panel. we got other subjects to discuss as well, so let's get right to it. It's Tuesday, which means Tamar Hallerman, AJC senior reporter, is uh, with us. Hi, Tamar. How are you?
0: Hi, Bill. Back from vacation. A little bit groggy, but happy to be here.
1: (laughs) Well, yes, we missed you, I have to say last week and are very glad you're back. But it's great that you got some time off. Uh, Stephen Fowler, GPB news reporter, is with us as well. Stephen, thanks for joining us a little later in the show. We're going to talk about a really deeply researched story that you did in partnership with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which reveals some pretty fascinating findings about how the new state election law uh, may impact uh, votes in uh, Metro Atlanta, in ballot, in drop boxes across Metro Atlanta. So we'll talk about that. But thanks for being here, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Sure. And we have Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram back with us. She's the mayor of East Point, Georgia. Mayor Ingram, I have to tell you that, you know, when people start doing the show more frequently, as, as you have done over a period of time, I kind of look at, at a biographies and resumes of to see if there's anything new that I can point out. And I found uh, today in looking at you that you were the valedictorian of your high school (laughs) graduating class, Bradford High School uh, in Stark, Florida. So you were a smart one even back then, Mayor.
2: And that's what they say. I was the first black valedictorian in my high school. Thankfully, there've been, really? there's been one other since me. But yeah, so a slight bit of history making. But I am always honored to be with you and, and spend time speaking and have a conversation that stimulates my brain while I'm here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad to have you with us. And Leo Smith is with us. We're always glad to have a Leo on. Leo's a Republican strategist, longtime Uh, activist in Republican politics, um, moved away from the state Republican Party when uh, the party embraced Trump as completely as it did. And Leo, you've been charting your own course ever since then. You're also the president of Engaged Futures, which is an organization that um, works at building partnerships across uh, party lines, racial lines, uh, whatever other kinds of uh, divides that we have in our community uh, in a lot of areas, education being one of the things you care most about. How are you, Leo?
3: I'm doing well, and uh, things are heating up. And I'm starting to see that you no know, purgatory may not be long-lasting for us pro democracy conservatives. I think we have a way out.
1: Oh, all right. We'll <laughs> talk about that on the show today. Um, tomorrow, let's get right to it. Um, you know, it's interesting in listening to the NPR news break just before our our nine o'clock live show went on the air today. Uh, there was a two-sentence story about the All-Star Game. Uh, the, the, you know, I can do it almost verbatim. The All-Star Game will be played tonight. It'll take place in Denver. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot more uh, around the All-Star Game tonight here in Georgia than NPR uh, uh, talks about in a nas- as a national story tomorrow.
0: Yeah, of course. And this was a game that that was supposed to take place in Cobb County, as you noted at the top of the show. And of course, since the uh, MLB made the decision to to move the game to Denver. It's of course been um, political fodder for the Republican Party as the especially the governor's race heats up, and it, it's a way to kind of hit on a lot of the themes that we've heard from a Republican candidates up and down the ballot, um, assailing the liberal mob, talking about cancel culture, wanting to end that, and of course hitting the favorite target Stacey Abrams, who uh, everyone believes is going to announce sooner or later her running against Brian Kemp.
1: Um, You know, I thought, uh, uh, Stephen, that the jolt this morning got the lead on this exactly right. Here it is. If you love unwinding from the stress of Georgia politics by getting lost in the excitement of a great baseball game, you'll need to use extreme caution watching the All-Star game in Denver tonight. Stephen, we know of at least five different ads that will appear on the All-Star game tonight tonight. Uh, by various Republicans, Republican organizations. And before I bring you to comment on all this, let's listen to the, the Republican National Committee spot, which is going to air tonight. It's fronted by Reverend Melvin Everson, who served for a brief time as a Republican member of the Georgia legislature. And here's what he says, and we'll tell uh, viewers of the All-Star Game tonight.
2: This was supposed to be Atlanta's
3: night, but we were robbed. Democrats stole our all-star game to push their divisive political agenda. Politicians and corporations lie, while black communities got hurt the most, even though a majority of black voters support laws like voter ID. To Democrats, it's just a game, but we're the ones who got played. The Republican National Committee is responsible for the content of this advertising. Stephen, I
1: have to say that I really can't imagine that Republicans will get at least a little short-term gain out of this. People like watching the all-star baseball game. And if they buy into this argument that cancel culture took it away from Atlanta, I I can imagine that there's going to be some pluses in the Republican column. They may not last long, but at least temporarily. Well, you
4: know, you have to look at there is a special election going on in Cobb County today mm. in the backyard of the stadium that I imagine yeah. that is that's probably going to be the most visible reaction where you're going to see this message play out. I mean, special elections are not necessarily a bellwether of the greater national conversation or even those state conversation. You know, only a few thousand people voted in that election the first time. And now we've got a runoff where presumably even fewer people are going to run. But the message here, you know, it's not necessarily about policy. Uh, On either side of the aisle, this MLB All-Star Game has become an avatar of these greater cultural divides over things like voting rights and uh, cancel culture, the woke mob, Jim Crow, voter suppression. And so what you're seeing or what you will be seeing when you watch the baseball game is going to be, you know, the... uh, symbolism behind how these two different parties are handling post-2020.
1: Yeah. Um, Mayor Ingram, oh, but first of all, Stephen, just to uh, add to your point, there the special runoff is for a House seat, a Georgia House seat, uh, being uh, uh, given up by Brett Reeves, uh, Burt Reeves. And Bert. it's a contest between a Republican, uh, Devin Sebaugh, and a Democrat, Priscilla Smith. Um, I think that's a fairly uh a solid Republican district, but we'll watch how that unfolds. Um, Mayor Ingram, let me play for you now a spot that Brian Kemp's reelection campaign is going to air on the All Star game tonight. And they take direct aim at uh, his presumed opponent, Stacey Abrams, in their ad. Here it is. This week, we should be celebrating baseball.
4: Instead, Stacey Abrams and the liberal mob forced the all-star game to move, despite the fact that we made it easier to vote and harder to cheat. They'll put their political agenda ahead of jobs, small business, even the truth. Here's my commitment. Secure, accessible, and fair elections will always remain the foundation of who we are as a state. And I'm not backing down from this fight. Let's go Braves.
1: Uh, Mayor Ingram, your response?
2: So it's interesting to me how former leader Stacey Abrams is no longer even an elected official, but she has so many people shook. In fact, the, the governor of the state of Georgia, she hasn't even announced. So I, I find that interesting. I also find it interesting that um, she alone is being blamed for for, you know, the, the person solely responsible for the, the gang moving when she and the MLB have said that that is not the case. And in fact, they left because of the Senate Bill 202, right? And so I think it is a play on reality. I find it interesting that um, the the word truth was used in the ad because, I mean, as a lawyer, I know words have meaning, but it seems that maybe I need to -look look up the definition of truth because I didn't know it had so many different meanings. The truth is the truth is the truth. And I think it's, you know, amazing how salacious um, real issues become when we're in election season. And the reality of it is voting is a sacred right. And, I you know, I don't know if we're the government of the people, for the people, by the people, and the people actually show up and vote in historic record numbers, it would seem that we would say, oh, we figured it out. We got it right. People are voting. People are engaged. And we want to increase this not decrease it. So, you know, I, I I find it laughable and I find it, um, I guess I need to get my popcorn and get ready for this election season and, and all of these <laughs> commercials, because it seems like they're going to be quite entertaining.
3: <laughs>
1: Leo, uh, in addition to those spots, uh, the NRSC, the Senate arm uh, of the Republican campaigns, uh, is got an ad tonight, but so does Gary Black, who has already declared himself a candidate for the Republican nomination for the Raphael Warnock seat? In his spot, he blames Warnock and Abrams um, for the reason that MLB pulled the game. Uh, and he says, quote, outfits like MLB are so woke, they're weak. Now, Leo, I want to do a reality check before I turn to you. Here is Stacey Abrams in a video that she published last April when there was talk about boycotting various businesses and Major League Baseball over the All-Star Game. Let's listen.
2: Black, Latino, API, and Native American voters whose votes are the most suppressed under SB202 are also the most likely to be hurt by potential boycotts of Georgia. To our friends across the country, please do not boycott us. And to my fellow Georgians, stay and fight, stay and vote. Make no mistake though, We must also hold corporations accountable for their silence in this debate. We must demand they speak out against the more than 250 voter suppression bills in 43 states across the country.
1: Leo, jump in.
3: You know, I mean, certainly um, Stacey Abrams delivered a different message there that is being presented in this culture war. And the fact is, though, that she did engender a spirit of culture war from the progressive left side that to Republicans set the stage for this cancel culture that she was unable then to put back into the cage. And so as our Cobb County chairperson, Lisa Cupid, said, please help. I mean, that you can see how if you let out a message that Republicans are bad, 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 and we need the corporations to now punish the Republicans, um, that is going to have Unplanned impact and certainly that's what happened here and it's too late to put that, that 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 monster back in the cage. Now you have to deal with it. So mayors like um, you know Mary Norton and, and Smyrna uh, where the battery is existing right right next to us uh, East Point where people are traveling from East Point to get to work at the battery to get good jobs get good money doing a time where it's like the fitness industry January the all star game. We lost on that because of this culture war.
0: I think it's also it's worth talking about the opportunity this has provided, especially Brian Kemp, when it comes to messaging and why you're seeing um, this kind of fixation on this issue. Um, talking about the All-Star Game is a forward-looking thing. You're not looking back at the November 2020 elections when uh, he really provoked the ire of a lot of Trump fans when he didn't try and overturn the results of the election as, as President Trump wanted him to. Um, so this is a way to look forward. It's a way to win over conservatives without talking about Donald Trump, an issue that, that could get the, the governor in trouble. This is an issue that polls extremely well with Republican voters, especially in the base. And as I mentioned, you're able to tie together a bunch of issues that the party has been messaging on, um, like securing the vote like Stacey Abrams, like cancel culture. And so I think it's a golden opportunity for the governor. And you're seeing him really taking advantage of that, especially in that opening ad that you played for us a few minutes ago.
1: You know what I think, Steve, by the way, Stephen, we should also point out, we don't want to leave Buddy Carter out of this mix. Buddy Carter, who hasn't declared that he's going to run for the Senate, but is waiting for Herschel Walker to decide. He bought time tonight, too. He says, Quote, baseball used to be as America as it gets, but radical. the radical left has other plans. Um, but, you know, Stephen, go back to the Kemp spot with me for a minute. Uh, I thought it was interesting, not just the messaging itself, but the tone. There's We're seeing a little of that pugnacious spirit that got Kemp so far among Republican voters and was uh, so criticized by Democrats in those pickup truck and shotgun ads back in the primary. He's, he's ready to fight. Yeah. I mean, over the weekend, Kemp launched his re-election
4: campaign down at the Georgia National Fairgrounds in Perry. And his message was that I'm going to fight for you. And I mean, he's under attack, obviously, from the left and Democrats who say he's too much like former President Trump. He's under attack from his flank for people to say that he didn't support Trump enough. And so this issue, like Tamar mentioned, the Major League Baseball, the All-Star Game, the Department of Justice lawsuit over Georgia's new voting bill. You know, this is right in his wheelhouse of, like you said, the pugnacious fighter of saying, look at all that I've done. People have counted me out, but I'm the one delivering these results. And so, I mean, this is like manna from heaven if you're Brian Kemp trying to get reelected.
2: So I'm not sure about man. Yeah, I am. I had to take myself on me. I'm not sure about manna from heaven, but it is absolutely um comedy to me um the reality of it is is when he says i'm going to fight for you my question becomes who's you and the governor is elected to represent all georgians uh, regardless of if you know all of these labels like the radical left and you know cancel culture and all of these things that are assigned to i think make people be fearful of actually advocating for protecting the most sacred right to vote. I don't recall hearing um, former leader Adrian say Republicans are bad, bad, bad. I think it's Senate Bill 202 is bad, bad, bad. And I think that is what is being lost from all of this um, political posturing and all of these semantics that are being used. The reality of it is, is that this law is suppressive and it's not just her. I mean, she's not even an elected official and is the most influential person in politics and even received the Nobel Peace Prize because she was able to engage the electorate and help the people understand their power, their power to vote, their power to be counted, and their power to demand people who represent their interests. So again, who is you when we say, I'm going to fight for you? And I find it, I mean, he definitely had to go to Perry and launch um, his campaign. He couldn't have done it in metro Atlanta, right? And so I still believe the, numbers out. the reality of it is the reason why these, this law was enacted is because more Democrats, more people of color, more black people turned out to vote. And the goal is to try to prevent that in 2022, because the Republicans know that if that happens, they won't be reelected. And so, you know, of the people, for the people, by the people, when people vote, we should all be happy.
3: Well, of course, the governor is asserting that we're going to have easy to vote um, election environment here in Georgia, and we're going to make it hard to cheat. And that's good for all Georgians to make sure that their vote is not only asserted, that they had accessibility to vote but they also can be sure that their vote is cast with integrity. Um, that's an important discussion. It is an important discussion from all sides. And the Supreme Court had, did not uh, suggest that black people were being discriminated against. Um, we know that they kind of punted on that down the road, uh, saying that it's not time to um, you know, adjudicate this when we have you know, midterms coming right up on us. Uh, so it looks suspicious for people to keep filing lawsuits. Uh, just for electioneering point point of view, and you know, so that's that's a real issue that we have to talk about. What kind of democracy do we want? How safe and secure do we want that democracy to be when it comes to voting? That's an important issue. The governor is winning on metrics that impact mayors, and that is state tax revenues are up at an all-time high. Those are good things. A lot of the way that he managed everything from how we manage the pandemic to how we manage the uh, keeping open of schools or opening up schools, um, all of that has an impact on local, city, municipal leadership. That's what he's fighting for. And as Republicans come back to fold, supporting Brian Kemp as before they were thinking about censoring him, you can see that the numbers matter, kitchen table issues are coming to fore, and his message is winning.
1: Of course, um, Leah, we should point out that we know that the tagline for a lot of Republicans in Georgia, and really for all of the Republican states that are voted for new election laws, Uh, The tagline is uh, easy to vote, hard to cheat. But, Leo, apparently it's already pretty hard to cheat in the state of Georgia because we've had virtually no evidence of any voter fraud in any election in recent memory in the state, Leo. Well,
3: Well, we have had evidence of voter fraud. We just haven't had evidence that would change the results. And many Republicans are acknowledging that, um, you know, you have grassroots efforts like Kelly Leffler's is now shaping the electorate. You've got folks like, uh, you know, joining now the campaign for secretary of state who are acknowledging that, you know, we need to do a better job of making sure that we develop our districts, that we create the teams. And that's why you have things like the all-star event by William Spencer, a young grassroots leader, happening at the stadium today to sort of get people engaged, get people riled up, uh, let them learn how to get engaged in a way that will help Devin Seaball and HD 34 today. Um, That's what's happening.
1: Before we move on, you're going to be at that event. Very quickly, just explain to us what is happening up there and and who's leading the effort.
3: I love seeing this because when I was director of voter engagement for the Georgia GOP, one of the things was getting people engaged in kitchen table type issues. The fact is, is that this canceling of the All-Star Game here at the Battery uh, here in Cobb County was really uh, impacted a lot of businesses over there. So Wim Spencer, a young, um, you know, young activist has decided that he wanted to go and show some love to those local businesses that would have gotten tons of revenue, whose employees would have gotten, you know, know, more money working at the bars, working at the restaurants than they've gotten all year. And so today, re- Republican activists are going over there to rally around these businesses, to spend money at these places, and to make sure that there are some wins um, uh, driven, even though we lost the All-Star Game. And so this happens from 11 o'clock to 6 o'clock today. Um, uh, T.J. Hudson uh, running for Secretary of State will be at the Omni. Ver- various people will be showing up and popping in.
1: Okay, we're going to watch to see how that unfolds. Um, Let's do this. Um, We'll all watch to see what happens in terms of the ads tonight on the All-Star Game and the response to it from Democrats and talk about that more on the show as the week goes on. But for right now, let's take our first break of the show and come back and talk about this major story that GPB News and the AJC collaborated on that tells us a lot about uh, uh, the use of uh, drop boxes in elections. We'll do that after these messages. East Point Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram, uh, Republican strategist Leo Smith, G.P.B. News reporter Stephen Fowler, Tamar Hallerman, senior reporter at the AJC, join us uh, today. Very quickly, Tamar, before we talk about the drop boxes. Um, it's interesting, as we talked about the Kemp campaign, uh, the AJC reports this morning that this mystery candidate who Corey Lewandowski and a few other Trump allies have been saying is, may come forward to challenge Kemp for the Republican nomination uh, showed up at CPAC, uh, the conser- big conservative gathering in Washington. His name is Ames Barnett. He's a big business executive, and he's, it's conceivable, the AJC reports. And he may very well be getting set to launch the Trump force's bid to unseat Brian Kemp. That's going to be fun to watch tomorrow.
0: (laughs) Not only was he at CBAC, but but he recently um, refreshed his Twitter handle uh, over the last couple of days. So, uh, you know, maybe we're reading it too closely, but I don't know. These are an awful lot of coincidences popping up. So we'll have to keep a close eye.
1: Yeah, we'll see. All right. Um, Stephen Fowler, you... Uh, worked with a team from the AJC, Mark Misi, of course, being the reporter over there who uh, uh, really watches election uh, uh, elections carefully, the lawsuits in federal courts, the legislation as a move through the General Assembly. And you did a deep, deep dive into looking at absentee ballots. And um, if you don't mind my. Uh, uh, quoting from your story on the GPB News website, here's what you learned. This is the lead. Ballot drop boxes saw heavy usage in most Democratic metro Atlanta counties during their rollout last year, far more than in rural Republican areas of Georgia. Election records show the state's new voting law, passed by the Republican majority of the General Assembly, limits the availability of the boxes in future elections, especially in Democratic areas, where voters relied on drop boxes. Fill us in a little more. Right, so
4: you know the 98 page voting law that Georgia enacted touches on just about every part of the election. And as we've been going through uh, different parts of the law, what's changes, drop boxes have been one of the things. And so we asked the Secretary of State's office for all of the records of the drop box transfer forms, which are the paperwork that local elections workers had to sign to say, this is how many ballots I've collected. This is where I collected them. This is the date and the time, and so on and so forth. So uh, I got records from about 123 or 124 counties in Georgia for all of their drop boxes, and they are all scans or pictures of forms. And so for the past several weeks or so, Mark Nisi and myself and two AJC interns have started combing through these records, and we got through... The four major counties, Fulton, Cobb, DeKalb, Gwinnett, and Metro Atlanta, picked a sampling of 11 rural or smaller counties across the state, and we barely scratched the surface of this data, but the four major counties in Metro Atlanta accounted for nearly a quarter of all absentee ballots cast in the election were returned in those drop boxes. So drop boxes have been a big question, and so we sought to find out who
1: used them and where and how things will change. So let me make sure I've got this, because I think your report, right, indicates 56 percent of absentee voters in Cobb, DeKalb, Fulton, and Gwinnett put their absentee ballots into drop boxes as opposed to the rest of the state, especially your red parts of the state, where far fewer uh, drop boxes were used by by presumably Republican voters. I think in DeKalb County it was over 60 percent. Uh, were returned to drop boxes, right? Yeah. So for a method that had never been used before,
4: especially in these bigger metro counties, many people who voted by mail, especially for the first time, also used these drop boxes. And one of the other points that we found was that uh, the new law limits how many drop boxes you can put and how long they can be open and where they can be put And about 40 percent of the absentee ballots returned in drop boxes during the November election were outside of the window that's allowed now. So those people would uh, have to figure out different times to return the drop, return them to drop boxes or use the mail or something else. So it definitely impacts drop boxes in a big way moving forward.
2: Dina? Yeah. So, you know. I appreciate Stephen and the team for being able to put some data to this. Because it goes beyond like what we think to actually what the data shows and knowing who actually used absentee um, ballot drop boxes and the law's intention around it, right? So so legal, um, your, the intention of a law or, and, and why it's really created, the motivation is really important. And I think it's interesting when, you know, the use of words like secure, accessible, fair elections, hard to cheat. The question becomes for whom, you know, secure, the, they're already secure. There's no fraud, accessible and hard to cheat. When you have a um, panel of legislators actually making decisions or overseeing elections in a state where the Republicans, one party is in control of the legislature, like hard to cheat for whom, right? So I think these are all great little sound bites that get people distracted from what's real. The reality of it is it is going to be harder for people of color, for seniors, my mom is 83 and votes by absentee ballot consistently, right? And so being able to have access to be able to drop that off in a drop box whenever it is a you know a, um, appropriate or opportune for them, that's important if we want people to be able to vote. And so I, I appreciate Stephen again. I think this this report and this data provides good support around who are we really trying to prevent from voting. If, in fact, this is, these are historic numbers and the turnout has been so high, why wouldn't we actually say, this was a great thing, let's do it again, versus we got to totally scrap everything and then put in these very restrictive, suppressive provisions in this law to prevent people from voting so that it is not secure for all Georgians, it is not accessible, most accessible for all Georgians, and it's absolutely not fair.
1: Uh, Leo, I I, want to make a point that I already made on the show yesterday, but it's worth repeating today. Republicans in the legislature would argue this. Last year, drop boxes were put in place by the Secretary of State's office in, in the middle of a pandemic to help voters get their absentee ballots to county election offices, but it was done on an ad hoc basis. So Republican legislators argue, hey, we, for the first time... Put drop boxes into law, and they believe that that is a a positive sign that they uh, care about making sure people can use drop boxes. Of course, they've also limited dramatically the number of drop boxes and, as Stephen said, the hours that they can be put into use in passing their law, Leo.
3: Thanks for sharing that, Bill, because what you just said was Republicans, the bottom line is when you look at pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, people have more ways to vote than they did pre-pandemic. Now they have it even by law, more ways to vote. That is an improvement in the accessibility of voting. And so that's a good positive trend towards more accessible elections by Republicans. Now, it is not... An unusual thing for operatives, democratic uh, leaning people who see the advantages to do their own electioneering and take advantage of a pandemic and executive orders um, that led to uh, Rule 183, 114 from uh, the uh, Georgia Elections Board allowing drop boxes. But that said, in that, that these drop boxes uh, must be secure they must be in a, in a way that's manageable, that video recording of drop boxes. So that was August, in August, 7, in August 17th, Rob Pitts in Fulton County looked, took an opportunity to expand and say, no, I wanna put them in CVSs, I wanna put them in places, You know, I wanna put them at Greenbrier Mall, I wanna put them at places that security and, and, and integrity may not be able to be upheld. And that's a problem that when people take advantage and they go too far and asking for too much, when we're not quite ready for that yet.
1: Uh, uh, Tamar, um, we haven't had any real major elections uh, since the law was put into place, but I thought it was interesting in Stephen and Mark's reporting, uh, they did uh, get a quote from the Appling County election supervisor, a woman named Shonda Carter, and she's at a special election down there, which is beating uh, the runoff is uh, today, she said, I have not had one person drop their ballot off in the drop box since it has been placed inside where it now must be inside the elections office, whereas 26% of absentee voters used drop boxes last fall. Obviously, very anecdotal, very small, but we're going to be interested to see how that plays out in the 2022 cycle.
0: Exactly. And especially because this has become such a national issue, we're not really sure exactly how all of this could play out. There could be a huge Democratic backlash to the point where um, they are able to rally a ton of people to vote who are really fired up about SB 202 and and what could happen. At the same time, given how small the uh, Joe Biden's margin of of victory was in November, and same with John Ossoff and and those Senate races, um, even a small uh change could make a a giant difference but i think a lot is going to depend on the atmospherics what's going on in fall of 2022 who these candidates are that sort of thing uh, for us to really have a good idea it's hard to compare a special election which would typically only draw sometimes a couple thousand votes to a small state house race to a presidential election uh, year so it's it's hard to make a comparison right now
1: yeah
4: And, you know, speaking of comparison, I mean, one of the problems that Georgia has with its election is that there are 159 counties that run things 159 different ways. And you really have about half of the voting population concentrated in a handful of counties. And their needs and their voting behaviors are way different than what you're going to find in Tolliver County, where there's less than 1,000 people that vote in a busy election. And so the difficulty that legislators have is crafting rules that are beneficial and uh, helpful to all Georgians. And in this case with the drop boxes, they're requiring counties to add drop boxes that don't have them, uh, more resources and more time where they probably aren't gonna need them. Chattahoochee County had about 10 people use drop boxes in the entire November election versus you have some individual drop boxes in the Metro Atlanta area that had six or 7,000. So the difficulty that we found in Georgia with election law and election administration, is that you really do have unequal resources and unequal needs and patterns because, you know, great, you're going to add a drop box to a rural county that they can go to the election office and add it, but you're taking the number in these four metro counties from over 113 down to about 32 or 33, and that's going to make it harder for people to use it. But obviously, looking, you know, the East Point branch library had 2,000 people use the drop boxes in the November election. Uh, that's probably not going to be a site moving forward in Fulton County. So are those 2000 people going to drive all the way up to the Ponce de Leon Library in Atlanta? Probably not. Are they going to go to the Palmetto Library? Maybe, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's all about election uh, and, and finding these things and using the term voter suppression tends to raise a lot of hackles on both sides of the aisle. But when we look at these stories and we do this data analysis, we look at what effort people have to do to cast their ballot. And with these drop boxes, it reduced that effort. And with this new law, what we're probably going to see is people have to expend more energy and effort to cast the same vote in this election than they did in the past.
2: Yeah, I, I actually find the argument about this being the first um, time that ballots drop boxes have been put into law quite insulting, because if the um, what the Republican Secretary of State did last year during the pandemic work meaning people were able to vote and even though it was ad hoc we could, we could call it a pilot and if a pilot works then you try to scale up and expand the pilot and so the question really becomes why didn't the Republicans put into law the actual drop box program that the Republican Secretary of State put in place that worked to get people to vote i find it quite insulting i'm not sure why greenbrier mall and CVS um, have this connotation of not being able to be secure or they're not being where integrity can be upheld. You know, I think all of those types of um, things being said and the fact that we did something, just be happy for that. That's crumbs. And we will not be happy for crumbs. The reality of it is, if you want to tout the Republican success, do what works. A Republican Secretary of State put in a, a plan that turned out more ballots in an election, and there was absolutely no fraud, so it was secure, right? And, and, and it was convenient and accessible to everyone. You know, at some point, we have to get beyond these political conversations about the fundamental American right to vote and a way to encourage people voting versus this authoritarian um, way of moving, as President Biden said, you know, this oppression and these strategies to limit the number of people to vote or limit access to the ballot, it is just that. And so let's call a spade a spade. That's not partisan. That is reality. And how do we get to a place where we actually do things and not driven from politics and not do all of these semantics around a position that really amounts to crimes, but says, look, let's continue to get more people voting, all people voting.
1: Leo, uh, we should also point out that the other another thing that SB 202 did, in addition to uh, limiting drop boxes, uh, while putting them in law for the first time, was to uh, forbid the Secretary of State from taking an action that he took during the pandemic, which was to send unsolicited uh, absentee ballot requests to every registered voter in the state. The law now forbids that from happening as well. Leo, what's the problem there?
3: There's the law, and then there's the spirit. The spirit of open, accessible elections has always been something that the people had to manage. And the spirit of what uh, the mayor is saying, uh, to be able to make sure that more participation in the democratic process can be upheld has always been the legal woman's voters' responsibility. Organizations that we are seeing an increase in, like Fair Fight Action and others, yeah, those citizen-based, responsibility to go out and engage people in participating in democracy should be and is required to be at an all-time high. Requiring legislators to make it such that citizen engagement is the rule for how they legislate, those are two different things. And we have to understand that there's the legislation to make sure fair, accessible, secure. Then there's participation and engagement, which is done by political organizations and grassroots civic organizations. Yes, responsibility is now heavily upon us as civic activists to make sure that we're engaging in our democracy.
1: All right, uh, let's do this. Let's get our final break of this show out of the way and come back with more on Political Rewind. Mayor Dina Holiday ingram when we have mayors on the show, we like to take a moment at least to uh, get a picture of some of what's happening in their communities. Um, in your case, if, if, I, if you don't mind, here are a couple things I'd like to ask you about. One is, as you know, President Biden yesterday met with a, a, a group of uh, larger city mayors and police uh, law enforcement officials to talk to them about crime reduction in their communities. Uh, he's also fully aware of the political tension uh, between some liberals who are calling for you know, reducing the uh, uh, budgets for police forces. Defund the police never really went very far. Nevertheless, it's in the atmosphere. And Biden wants to make sure people understand Democrats do not oppose law enforcement and its efforts to reduce crime. So what? where do you stand in East Point with your police department, efforts to combat crime, and your understanding of what the role of the police ought to be these days
2: so we actually just had an update last night from our deputy chief regarding crime in our city and in several major areas our crime is absolutely down is actually going down um and so you know there is a real push and support um our police department adopted the 21st century community policing model and framework for its strategic plan within our city um i believe that it's really important that we continue to really focus on that as well as adopted the eight can't wait around the use of force and so we have all eight in place and in fact had six out of the eight in place um from 2016 so that's banning chokeholds make exhausting alternatives before um shooting and so those things are really um positive things in in our in our force and in the police but there's also the opportunity um, to make sure that our police are actually not getting engaged in non-policing type uh, matters, and that is actually a place of agreement from our, you know, former police chief, the community. Like, police do not want to be engaged in non-policing type activities. So we are actually uh, exploring community alternatives and diversion for people who, you know, may be experiencing life challenges, right? And and don't need 911 call, but actually need to be connected to to resources and so it is really about look i i'm the person that says we absolutely need police because if somebody gets shot we're not get, getting ready to do like a conflict resolution on site right we need to have the appropriate response but that level of response is not needed for all incidences there's not a situation where we should be calling the police all the time And so we're really looking forward to continuing efforts around those community alternatives and diversion um, and continuing to enforce community policing and a can't wait and continuing to have low use of force in our city.
1: Demo- um, uh, Tamar, there's no question that Democrats, um, some Democrats, uh, Biden Democrats, let's say, are scrambling to get back on the right side of this issue. There, they, they, there is a feeling, perhaps, that the liberal wing of the party went a little too far in condemning the police in the aftermath of the shootings of black people last year, the high-profile shootings. So they're trying now to balance that off and say, of course, we need law enforcement to do its jobs uh, at the same time, we've got to find ways to protect the community against uh, law enforcement that goes too far. It's a real challenge for Democrats moving forward tomorrow.
0: Yeah. And at the same time, you don't want to alienate your left flank, right? They they bring, they bring brought a lot of energy to the party, especially in the 2020 uh, elections. They helped in Georgia elect uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. So you, you can't alienate them entirely. The problem is that uh, the, the talking point of defunding the police meant different things to different people. Uh, there are some folks who are talking just like Mayor Ingram about you know how do we shift some of the roles of what the police do so that they're only focused on policing and less on issues like homelessness or, or mental health and then there are others who are like yeah, let's get rid of the police and so that that makes it a challenge as well but especially in Georgia I think there was less of an emphasis on actually, getting rid of funding for the police departments, but uh, no, it, it's certainly a challenge and one that I think Republicans will use as a talking point for a long time, because easy yeah. points, as, as we were talking about with uh, with Governor Kemp and, and opening his campaign.
1: Um, Stephen, the only communities in, in Georgia that were even talking about major de-escalations of the budget to their police departments were Athens and the city of Atlanta, and they never went very far, and yet, the Republican-controlled legislature took advantage of that to pass this law, which forbids uh, cities across the state from reducing their police budgets by more than 5%. Right. I mean, it's it's
4: definitely, uh, you know, the, the 2018 governor's race felt like it was very issue-heavy and policy-heavy, but we have entered a climate in politics where everything is culture war, everything is, you know, a caricature of positions on either side of the party, but You know, Governor Kemp on Saturday uh, had a little gaggle with a few reporters after his speech. And somebody asked if he was worried about Georgia's governor race getting nationalized. And he said that while Democrats were really good at nationalizing the race in 2020, that he feels like it's going to backfire this time because of issues like police funding and the border and other things that he says that national Democrats have unpopular policies that aren't going to help them in georgia in 2022 and so you know we'll we'll see how that plays out but he seems to think that uh you know that democrats maybe overplayed their hand especially in a state like georgia that is still about as purple as you can get leo
3: no indeed i mean democrats know that they have overplayed their hands and now they're trying to re-message this and pull in that progressive left play on really demonizing police at all costs. And the impact on that is people like Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms have had to struggle with uh, you know increasing crime rates and disrespect for law and order in the city of Atlanta. I pray that the mayor um, of East Point is not dealing with some of those same issues um, and so Republicans support both safe and, and, and effective non discriminatory policing. I think that we saw that the nation feels that way as we celebrated the verdict on Derek Chavon and his um, and the penalties therefore for any police officer there. What we now have to do is sort of again put that monster back into the cage of allowing people to think that there is no compassion for victims, no compassion for people who want safe neighborhoods with businesses able to operate without fear of lawlessness, and that so. The Republicans are winning on that message.
1: Um, thank you all for 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 that. Um, Tomorrow, before we we end the show today, I want to at least give a shout out and ask you to give us a brief. Uh, uh, summary of a, I think, an important story that you published uh, in the AJC about the continuing uh, lack of females in C suites and on boards of major public corporations in the state of Georgia. I would tell us just a little in the couple minutes we have left about that because it seems to me it's very important.
0: Yeah, so we analyzed uh, some of the corporate filings that Georgia's largest, or I guess Georgia's 17 Fortune 500 companies uh, filed to the federal government last year to kind of look at how these companies have improved or not improved over the last 10 years. So we're comparing companies like Coca-Cola and Southern Company not only to each other, but to themselves 10 years ago. And how have they done You know, with all of their pledges to increase diversity, especially when it comes to gender in their highest ranks? And we found that uh, while most companies have been improving, uh, those improvements have been very slow. And none of these companies are anywhere close to kind of 50-50, reflecting the the general populations. So we look at members of their board of directors and also their their top four or five executives who run the company. And we found that most hover at about 27%. um, and that it, it's been kind of harder for a lot of these companies to implement, despite a lot of the the rhetoric that this is a priority.
1: Uh, mayor Ingram, uh, as a female mayor, you remain in the minority of uh, of mayors in the United States, and certainly in Georgia. Yes.
2: Yes, I do, and I. But I do believe that change is coming, and that there is the future is absolutely female. And I appreciate Tamara for <laughs> highlighting. Um, highlighting, you know, what is actually happening. Again, data helps, right? It's not just about what we feel it's the reality and all of these commitments need to have more than just words. They need to have action and there needs to be um, actual results behind them. So thank you.
1: We, we obviously want to point out that the city of Atlanta has a female mayor, the Cobb County commission now has a chair. Who's a female. The Gwinnett County commission is run by a Karen female County. African-Americans in all of those cases, by <laughs> yeah. the way. Yeah. So even if we've talked a lot of th- about a lot of subjects today that might leave people feeling really a little <laughs> depressed, there are some signs of genuine progress, uh, let's say in some areas of the state of Georgia. Mayor Dina Holliday Ingram, Leo Smith, uh, Stephen Fowler, and Tamar Hallerman, thank you for a really wonderful conversation on the show today. I'm grateful that you all could. Be with us. And I'm very happy that all of you out there were here to listen to the show. I've gotten some interesting emails from you about our show today. One person says that if one if voting is one of the most important things a citizen can do, you should have to show up in person to do it. So that's just from one listener who thinks that absentee balloting is not the best way to cast your vote. We're out of time for today's show. I'm Bill Nigat. See you again tomorrow. Bye-bye, everybody. I'm <laughs>